Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. On Monday's podcast, we started to look at the World Economic Forum and its leader, Klaus Schwab. Now, in doing research for this, I I asked several people who Klaus Schwab was, and I did not find a single person that could tell me. I also asked them if they could tell me what the WEF, or the World Economic Forum, was, and again, I did not get one correct answer. And I have to admit that I did not know who they were until only maybe a few years ago. And and this is not an organization that takes out ads at halftime for the Super Bowl. It's just not one of those, those that just, you know, falls off the tip of the tongue. But you may be saying to yourself, then why do I need to know who they are and, and, and what they're doing? What I would say to that question is the answer could very easily affect your life in the future. So... Let's look at who this mysterious Klaus Schwab is. Larry Alex Taunton, who writes for the Daily Wire, says, The biography of Klaus Schwab, founder and chairman of the World Economic Forum, is murky at best. Several portraits of Schwab uh, emerge in any effort to find out precisely who he is. The um, uh, unclear, misunderstood uh, philoptopus and, and lover of, of humanity, um, maybe a secret Nazi avenging his country's defeat in a war that he can still remember, or a, a hard-driven politician at large, uh, hell-bent on turning his brainchild, the WEF, into an office for global governance, or the smarmy Mr. Network guy who likes nothing more than than rubbing elbows with the rich and famous with himself as the member of and the masters of ceremony. So then, who is he? Well, Klaus Martin Schwab, uh, born 1938, was born in Ravensburg, Germany, the same month that Hitler, uh, Hitler's Weizenbach uh, marched into uh, Australia. His father, um, Eugene Schwab, uh, was the, the manager director of, uh, of Esther Weiss AG. Uh, under uh, Eugene's direction, the company, with the use of slave labor, uh, manufactured water turbines for the Norsk Hydro, the, the center of the Nazi effort to produce an atomic bomb using heavy water. From this slender evidence, many have assumed that Klaus Schwab is himself a Nazi. This is unfair. Besides his honorary doctorate from Ben-Goron uh, University of uh, Negev, uh, Beersheba, uh, Israel, suggests otherwise. Such simplistic uh, explanations won't do here. There is nothing in what he is publicly known about the, the German engineer to suggest that he is a megalomaniac in any conventional sense. On the contrary, his, his re- resume, replete as it is with awards, uh, 17 honorary doctorates, 
and a knighthood indicates a life of achievement, really. But we don't need evidence that he is the uh, illegitimate son of Eva Braun or one of the boys from Brazil to to understand him. Uh, The truth is simpler. Klaus Schwab was born in a time and in a country corrupted by the idea of perpetual human progress and utopianism. He was nurtured in a world where governments mobilized whole populations for mammoth projects in which scientific achievement was still regarded with optimism rather than foreboding, and of elites who were intoxicated by the feeling that they were on the cutting edge of history and and human achievement. Quote, in the age of social Darwinism, wrote the late historian Jacques Barzon, the combination of the ideas of struggle, of historical evolution, and of progress proves irresistible, unquote. Especially to to Germans, it is merely uh, coincidence that the, the, the two great pretenders to world domination in modern times, Marxism and fascism, were both born in Germany, and that now a third arises from the same country. Certainly not, right? (laughs) And both Marxism and fascism claim a scientific basis and, and aspired, as Schwab has said in his Great Reset, to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from the education to social contracts and working conditions. In this, Klaus Schwab is very much a child of mid-20th century Germany. All of this is exacerbated by the fact that he is also so much a typical leftist. Where the average person wakes up in the morning and grabs a cup of coffee or something and begins organizing their day, the leftist wakes up and begins thinking about how to organize your day too. (laughs) Schwab is like the guy who runs your HOA. Oh man, I hate HOAs. And is constantly issuing edicts on recycling or telling you to take down your Christmas decorations. But but with the continental size, no, no, the planetary size ambition and ego to match it. Imagine the audacity of a person who thinks that he is, by virtue of his virtue, entitled to decide the minusculest detail of your life. What you do own, or more accurately, what you don't, what you eat, your level of privacy, and whether or not you have a microchip implanted in your brain. This is Klaus Schwab. But not contented with annoying people on the on an individual basis, he formed a club, <laughs> yes, a, a club of like-minded people in an effort to establish the HOA from hell. <laughs> the World Economic Forum is what they call this club. And these are people who are all in, infected by what political philosopher Karl Popper, who ironically taught George Soros at the London School of Economics, called the spell of Plato. You see, in every intellectual's literary paradise, um, from Plato's Republic to Thomas More's Utopia, 
the masses are ruled by a dictatorship of self-appointed enlightened elite. Doesn't that sound like most of the leftists you know? <clears throat> Just read Schwab's book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. It came out in 2016. COVID-19, The Great Reset in 2020, and The Great Narrative again in 2020. One of the many things that one finds there, chief among them, is a contempt for democracy. Schwab and his cronies do not believe in liberty for the individual, only for the collective, which is to say, of course, no liberty at all. In the books that appear to have been printed at Kiko's or something, <laughs> they have no indexes and are as riveting as a TV manual. It soon becomes clear Schwab is not an original thinker. The term the Great Reset was coined by uh, urban studies theorist Richard Florida. The, the idea being that great economic crises bring about corresponding social uh, convulsions. But Florida receives no mention in COVID-19, The Great Reset. Schwab's twist on the theme is to view such catastrophes as an opportunity to reinvent everything top down. Then, as I began drilling down into the first global revolution, which came out in 1991, an academic report produced by a highly influential think tank called the, the Club of Rome, it, it appeared that Richard Florida had lifted the concept. <laughs> so it even wasn't his original thinking. Um, and, and maybe even, even the term itself from the authors of the report called The Great Transition, the, the definition of which fit that of Florida's, of course. That said, Schwab clearly possesses a deep knowledge and understanding of science and technology. Even at his age of 84, you need only watch a video of him talking on these subjects, and he and he he ranges easily between them with apparent mastery. He, but his his books and the literary references that run through them, uh, the Daniel Defoe, the Hemingway, things like that, leave me cold because you get the impression that he doesn't know any of them as one knows old friends. They're just simply quote minded and, and, you know, kind of um, harnessed for his, his agenda behind all of the big ideas and Davos uh, hobnobbing. One begins to detect an element of uh, sophistry, a man whose mind lacks the formal moral education that one that, that, that only the, the humanities and, and, I believe, Christian literature can impart. Schwab, I, I discovered, is a technocrat. If all this sounds less dangerous to you, well, it shouldn't. Klaus Martin Schwab has been greatly influenced not only by the milieu of his childhood, which gave, us to his, gave rise to his grandiose proclamation that the future is built on us, but also by a series of apocalyptic academic works, the, um, the Predicament of Mankind, which came out in 1970. The Limits to Growth uh, came out in 1972. The First Global Revolution and, and the previously class, classified National Security Study Memorandum, the NSSM, 
200, which came out in 1974, written by Schwab's mentor, Henry Kissinger. They all have a single theme, global, global overpopulation. The first global revolution puts it more bluntly when it says, quote, the real enemy then is humanity itself, unquote. In his classic on the reign of terror, Hale historian R.R. R. Palmer wrote of the well-intentioned Marxian uh, Robinsteer, uh, who said, quote, he was preoccupied with an inner vision. The thought of ills, which it seems to him could easily be corrected, the picture of a world in which there should be no cruelty or discrimination, his sympathies were always with the underdog. He believed in equality, seriously and profoundly. He had the virtues of the faults of an inquisitor, a lover of mankind. He could not enter with sympathy into the minds of his own neighbors, unquote. Under Robespierre uh, guidance, the, the Committee of Public Safety, of course a misnomer if there ever was one, guillotined roughly 17,000 people. And they did all that in the name of liberty, equality, and fraternity. If, if, you, if you understand nothing else about Klaus Schwab and his World Economic Forum, get this, they are godless. They are godless. That matters, of course, from your answer to the question, does God exist? flows the the whole of your worldview. Your your worldview is made up of that one question. If your government thinks you are a product of random chance and necessity, and that there is no God to judge in the next life their actions in this one, well, history demonstrates with chilling clarity how that plays out. We have seen how Schwab's literary reference, references in his books suggest a shallow understanding of the humanities and none whatsoever of religion. And there are, however, numerous philosophical references in which he reveals a more intimate knowledge. Uh, how about Friedrich uh, Nietzsche, uh, Antonio Gramsci, uh, Steven Pinker, um, Peter Singer, just to, to name a few. This is telling. All of them are atheists, and, and aggressively so, really. Schwab quotes them favorably. And, and when the, the WEF has, has taken a, a little bit of these things, it's, it, it's just very obvious. From uh, Nietzsche, the, the idea of the, the superhuman can face the harsh reality of a world without any ultimate transient hope. From Gramsci, uh, a, a little, uh, an evil little uh, Italian communist, really, uh, contributed the ideas for the overthrow of the Christian and the democratic West. I, ideas that inform the uh, subversive tactics of radical left from Black Lives Matter to the sexual, sexualization of, of, of children. A uh, pinker, uh, a, a cognitive um, 
psychologists at Harvard sang the, the siren song of uh, perpetual human progress in his books, The Better Angels of Our Nature and Enlightenment Now, a tune irresistible to secular scientific elites. Uh, how about Parker uh, of The New Yorker? Um, you know, Harari nonetheless speaks of a, a, a suffering with, um, with kind of a nihilistic composure. Well, Parker adds this, the subject of human suffering, even, even extreme suffering, does not seem to aggregate um, Harari in, in quite the way that industrial agriculture does. Uh, in, perhaps that's because his original mission statement, embrace ambiguity, leaves open the question of, of whose suffering he cares about. And Singer, Peter Singer, a, a, a uh, bioethicist at uh, Princeton University is quite possibly the most influential philosopher of the second half of the 20th century and beyond. In 1975, he published Animal Liberation, giving rise to the modern animal rights movement. Once while, while dining with him in his hometown of Melbourne, Australia, I listened as he explained his animal rights philosophy, says the writer here. A vegetarian, for obvious reasons, <laughs> he ordered uh, nosh, uh, and, and wordlessly I expressed my views on animals um, and, and their place with, with creation by ordering kangaroo. <laughs> he is the most philosophically consistent atheist I have ever met, he says, and I've known more than a few. In addition to debating the late atheist journalist Christopher Hitchens, Turf's cognitive scientist da, uh, Daniel Dennett and skeptic magazine editor Michael uh, Shermer, I organized and, and chaired three of Oxford's evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins debates. But Singer is by far the most dangerous of the lot, and that's because he is willing to follow his atheism to its dark conclusions. See, journalist Kevin Tullis wrote of him, what is legitimate for Singer is just plain murder for other people. It is Singer's view that man is an animal like any other, and that he deserves no special status among the, the various species. That is, he argues, a residual, um, residual of Christian thought. So it's because of Christians that we think this way. Worse, he has argued that parents should get 28 days with a newborn child to determine if they want to keep it or euthanize it. This is where atheism, pushed to its logical outcome, takes you. And it's where the WEF would like to take the rest of us. This brings us to Dennis Meadows, Emeritus Professor of Systems Management at the University of New Hampshire. Meadows is an original member of the Club of Rome and one of the co-authors of Limits to Growth, a, a mega bestseller that in, informs the, the WEF's agenda. Meadows thinks we must reduce the global population by, oh, just a mere six to seven billion people. But no worries. 
he wants to do it peacefully. <laughs> yeah, peacefully. These are the people from whom Schwab and the, the WEF take their cues. Pinker, Harari, Singer, and, and Meadows are, are WEF's agenda contributors. Yes, contributors. Read their books. Watch them in, in smug conversation. They, they simply cannot resist telling you what they think and what they want to do. These are your would-be overlords. Combine these murderous ideas with politicians who have the power to implement them. More than 50 government leaders attended this year's WEF annual meeting. And you have to you have to think that maybe it's a toxic combination. Take, for example, Ursula von der Leyen. Perhaps you saw her recently in the news. She is the unelected president of the European Commission on Threaten, uh, uh, Commission who threatened Italy with unspecified sanctions should they elect a prime minister at odds with the EU's vision for the continent. Now, I'm delighted to say that the Italians defied her and elected, uh, elected her anyway. But this woman, she is also a WEF agenda contributor and is front and center in their WEF leadership photo. So nobody has elected her. No, she's, she's not the head of any state, but she's threatening countries to... And, and, and telling them who they need to elect and not elect as their president. At bottom, the, the WEF has no actual power. They, they possess no armies and they hold no seat at the UN. And, and they are stateless. What they have, though, is influence. Schwab is Mr. Network Guy. <laughs> he, he has managed to gather world leaders of of desperate cultures and, and languages and, and demographic and non-demographic uh, countries, um, some who are enemies even, all of whom have participated in on a voluntary basis, and, he, and he's given them an organizing vision. But it's not Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people techniques that have enabled him to do it. It's the product he's selling and they all want it. And it's called absolute power. It is a fact of history. We are always just a step, step from totalitarianism. Those politicians who would readily embrace it and the thugs who would readily enforce it are always there. It, it just needs someone to speak it into being, to offer a roadmap to get there. That's what the WEF offers. And it offers it all under the cover of environmental and, and humanitarian virtue. Do you really think that Xi or Saudi Prince Mohammed bin Solomon, both, of course, WEF participants, really care about a sustainable future? The WEF deals in the, the laundering of reputations, those of current or aspiring tyrants in particular. 
in in my consider considerable experience uh, in engaging men who posture as some of the world's smartest, I've discovered when I come to um, seductive but unworkable utopian ideas, intellectuals are not unlike football coaches with talented but troublesome players. They are confident that they will be able to succeed where the last guy could not. As a consequence, Marxism and fascism live on like Antonio Brown's career. <laughs> With the threat of a climate apocalypse serving as Plato's noble, you know, lie, lie um, Marxism style government power grabs are are taking place all over the Western world. But Marxism could never survive on its own because Marxism and, and its economics, they just don't work. So it must always adopt a fascist element, loosening government restrictions on private property and a, and a market economy. Not totally, but as the Chinese have done it, socialism with Chinese characteristics, as they say. The addition of ESG, which is the environmental, social, and governance, is the, the fascist element, a kind of Co co coercive corporate social credit system. Once uh, compliance is fully in place, it will bring all industry to government's heel. The path to totalitarianism, you see, is quite clear. I have visited the sites uh, of past claimants uh, to the utopian throne. They are not, as you might suppose, great works of um, architecture or museums housing their treasures. They are places with names like Auschwitz and Monson and Buchwald, places like this. They are the homes of Cuba, China, Russia, Vietnam, and, and half a dozen more where disasters um, and dissenters must, must hide from the regime. Because the most consistent feature of earthly utopians is their gulags and their gallows. But there is, I think, a path to a sustainable future for freedom. In his book, Civilization, the West and the Rest, Harvard histor historian Nall Ferguson wrote, uh, quotes, a scholar from the Chinese Academy of Sciences. He says, quote, we were asked to look into what accounted for the pre-eminence uh, of the West over, uh, over all the world. First, we thought it was because you had more powerful guns than we had. Then we thought it was because you had the best political system. Next, we focused on the e economic system. But in the past 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. That is why the West has been so powerful. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic politics. We don't have any doubt about this, unquote. You see, for centuries, the Christian faith served as the West's bulwark against moral and political evils. But with the decline of the Christian belief has come a corresponding rise in the um, the, the, the uh, the perversions of every kind. Rather than a Christian culture, we've become Christian-ish. 
Thus, con concepts with Christian foundation, love, freedom, tolerance, diversity, stewardship, and the environment, care for the poor, etc., are easily hijacked and, and, and harnessed to the destructive end. If, if the West is to survive in any recognizable sense, it must be more than Christian-ish. As T.S. Eliot observed, if Christianity goes, the whole culture goes. And isn't that the bottom line here? I, I mean, we as a church, not a single church, but a church as whole, have removed ourselves largely from society. And, and we see ourselves as having spiritual things to do, right? But as someone once said, if, if, we, are too, if we are too heavenly minded, then we are no earthly good. We have a responsibility to confront evil in all forms here in this world. Even if that evil thinks it's doing good or it says it's doing good in the name of power, let's be aware of those that would take away our freedoms and rights for their own selfish gains. If for no other reason than to help spread God's word and message around the world. Now, you may agree with this and you may completely disagree with it, and I would definitely love to hear from you on it. You can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.